What is poppin' guys? This is Bridie and welcome to Does That Make Sense? Today I'm joined by my friend Nick Poe. We are going to tackle the topic of unity. So buckle up and let's get this party started. Welcome to episode two. I am joined by my friend Nick Poe. Nick, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I feel like this is a smidge awkward. I know that's just me though, but I live in awkward, so I'm okay. That is true. You're probably one of the most awkward people I know. <laughs> but it makes everybody else feel comfortable, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um so today we are going to talk about unity. Um And this is actually one of my favorite subjects to talk about because it's pretty much non-existent right now. What do do you think about about that? Yeah, it's uh, we have a misconception about what unity is. And because of our misconception, we think it's unattainable and we don't even try. Generally speaking, we don't try to have union. Usually when we have union, it just comes organically. It comes like I, I have this idea that there are two dimensions of unity. So the first would be agreement-based unity. Right. That's when you get have union because you agree, right. you know, which is really easy to find. Yeah, um, that's my favorite. If you're, in, if you're at the mall and you see someone with a Chipotle shirt on, oh, you immediately yes. have unity mm-hmm. with that person because you agree that Chipotle is amazing. Yep. So... Whether it's something stupid like food or something serious like faith, politics, or even like a middle ground thing like sports, um, when you have someone who agrees with you, there's automatically unity that's created where you can lock arms, you can partner with this person because you agree. And that's even biblical. Like the book of Amos says, how can two people walk together unless they be in agreement? So there's this strength in agreement, but there is a greater dimension of unity that's available. Do you want to know what it is? I'm dying, (laughs) so please tell me. Love-based unity, Mm. which is a higher notch. If you look at a ladder, you've got bottom rung unity, which would be agreement-based. Then up towards the top, you have love-based unity, which says, hey, even if we disagree, we're still going to be in unity. We're still going to function together. We're still going to live in this thing called society and be effective people and have an effective relationship. Um, And I really think, like, for example, in marriage, you have to graduate from agreement-based unity to love-based unity because you will disagree with your spouse. Absolutely. And if any family relationship, a sibling, a parent, there will be disagreement. So you have to make that leap, that promotion from just agreement based to love based unity, where you look at someone and say, listen, we don't agree on everything, but what you say, I'm willing to eat the meat and spit out the bones. I'm willing to apply what I appreciate from you and not dismiss you or discount you just because we have certain disagreements. And that's the higher place to graduate into, I think. And you said it best, like marriage is literally the perfect example of that. Because if you think about it, when you marry somebody, there is no way on earth you are going to like or believe or agree on every single thing. And if you do, you're robots. It's like step for life stuff. It's super weird. Yeah. And that that just sucks. I mean, pretending that everything is 
agreeable and perfect just is a sucky place to live. It, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's <laughs> almost like it's not even worth it. Like I would rather just go sit in a hole right. than try and act like, you know, my life is perfect and everything is all together when when that's not helpful for me or people looking from the outside in. Yeah. Like what is that representing to other people? Right. Exactly. Yeah, people need to see, hey, two folks can be in a place of disagreement over certain issues, big or small, and still have perfect unity, perfect, healthy wholeness and oneness with each other. And that's true with people you work with, you know, parents, like I said, siblings, distant relatives, cousins, um, really any sector of relationship in your life is affected by this sort of thing. And it's funny because we, like we know diversity is a good thing. Um, very few people would attest that. So, especially on college campuses right now, mm-hmm. um, diversity of ethnicity and race is a really big thing. And it's a good thing. Right. Like you're black and I'm Puerto Rican. And so that's... <laughs> he is not Puerto Rican. <laughs> so you have, you have diversity of relationships, people of different ethnic groups, people of different right. races, all getting... Fine, that's great. And, but what you don't see like on college campuses is you see like... If a speaker shows up to speak whom the audience doesn't like or the college goers don't agree with, they try to get them banned and they riot. And this is happening at UC Berkeley and all these other campuses. So they love diversity of ethnicity, which is fine. But people hate diversity of thought or diversity of opinion. And that is a serious problem. I think we should be pushing diversity of opinion and diversity of thought big time. Uh, Because otherwise you have this... uh, totalitarian idea that if it's not my idea, it's a bad idea. And you don't hear from another side. Like I've got really strong opinions on politics, on faith, on cheese. Yes, you do. About everything. Yes. But I can't afford to get stuck in an echo chamber of thought. I've got to be able to listen to an outside voice to burst that bubble so that I can hear from someone else and potentially have great unity with someone across the aisle. And people have this misunderstanding that to be in unity with other people, you do have to have that power of agreement. If I don't think like you, if I don't look like you, or if I don't believe like you, then I can't be in relationship with you. And I think that's the biggest misconception that we have in our society today. And it it causes so much, not only division, but it causes insecurity because I think that's one of the biggest, um, the biggest roadblocks in us having unity between races and um, political you know, beliefs and things like that because we believe if we, if we can't think for ourselves, like we have to like cling to somebody else's belief, but if we do believe for ourselves, then somebody else is going to come in and make us feel stupid for what we believe. Mm-hmm. But at the end, like, do you really believe that then? Like, if you're so insecure about what you believe, I, I mean, that to me doesn't sound like belief at all. Right, exactly. We really over-evaluate our belief system and we make sure that our bias fits into the group that we're supposed to fit into. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain that. It's like uh, if you're forming a political belief, for example, you should look at the facts, look at the history, look at the data, look at the future, 
and draw your assumptions based on what you believe is best. Instead, what we do is we say, I like this person, so I'm going to agree with them before ever hearing what they have to say. Exactly. Then you're just a drone. You're a reproduction of someone else's thought, which isn't healthy. You should be independent in that fashion. Right. And it also just causes complete confusion for anybody else because they're trying to figure out, okay, where do you stand? What do you believe? And then you kind of look foolish because you don't even know how to explain yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of it, you build a wall around yourself and unless someone else agrees with you and thinks like, likes you and and passes the litmus test, Mm -hmm. you're not going to invite them in the door. Right. So then you have all these little segregated microcosms of thought and opinion and politics and faith all over society. And you have no diversity of opinion and no unity. And here's the thing. Here's why unity is so important, because unity produces synergy. And that sounds like a line you'd hear at like a Tony Robbins event, (laughs) but it's a, it's a real thing. Synergy just means groups working together in a flow that produces, um, uh, results, productivity. So if you don't like unity or you don't like to hear about unity, um, just realize the car you're driving came together because of unity. Ford motor company got an assembly line together where people came and, worked hard and put that thing together. Your favorite products, your iPhone, uh, the government, your house, everything we enjoy is the result of synergy. It's the result of unity between people groups who work together to get something done, work together to reach a common goal. And so I really think we'll see a more productive society if we'll find unity. And that doesn't mean you have to agree on everything. You certainly won't. Or it's, you shouldn't be this bubble of people who all think alike, sound alike, and talk alike. But within the disagreement, you say, hey, we still have common ground. That common ground is where people made in the image of God, where right. people with value, where people with potential here on the earth for a purpose. Right. Yeah. And life would be so boring if we just continued to agree on everything, like the fact that I'm biracial and I was raised in an all white family, when people look from the outside in, they gather this opinion that I am one way and not another way. Mm. And I could use racial terms and things like that, but that's irrelevant in this case because my beliefs make me who I am, not the color of my skin, not where I was raised, but How do I think? What do I believe? That's what makes me who I am. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, I think Beyonce is probably one of the greatest human beings ever, and you would completely disagree with me on that, doesn't mean that we aren't friends or we can't have an open conversation and find common ground. Yeah, that's the big thing is finding common ground. It's so easy to throw stones. Right. It's way harder to wash feet. Mm. Washing feet is really what we're called to. Right. And what we do is we run around as Christians loving the example of Jesus washing feet, but practicing the example of the Pharisees throwing stones. Right. Which is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Because he didn't say, follow the Pharisees and follow me. So for me, I'm a Christian, and I'm sure there's probably listeners who are Christian, some who aren't. Uh, So I say I see the model of Jesus as being one that's worthy of duplicating my life after. If I believe that, then I'm called to serve, to find common ground, to love, to have unity, all those warm, bubbly feelings, which is great. Instead, though, what we do is we pick up stones and throw them at the opposing party in any facet of life, and it just doesn't work well. No, it's a complete disaster. I mean, 
I remember, like, this is not to get political at all. Like, I have my views, you as listeners, you have your views, but I'm saying all of this to just bring some clarity to what we're trying to say right now. Like, because of the color of my skin, because I'm a female, because of multiple other things, during election time, I was being pushed to vote one specific way. Now, in no, in no means is this podcast political. I just want you to hear my heart on that. I'm just setting an example because that's the society we live in. People look at the outer and they, mm. they automatically categorize us. Yeah, identity politics. Right. Mm-hmm. And that goes same for your beliefs. Like if you look a certain way, oh, well, you must be this religion. And we categorize people based off of what we think they should be or because we're not open-minded enough to get to know who they actually are. And I think it all stems just from insecurity within ourselves because we, we want to have this opinion of other people that validates why we think the way we think mm-hmm. instead of saying, look, you're, you know, you're white and you're redhead. So you automatically think this way and you automatically should act this way. Mm -hmm. But really, when I get to know you, you know, you're one of the most compassionate people. You're full of wisdom. And although you fit one stereotype, you blow it out in every other possible way. Yeah. But I wouldn't know that if I would have never taken the time to sit down and talk to you and find out about you. Yeah. Which is hard to reverse because psychology teaches. This is a fact. It takes seven seconds to form a first impression about someone. So basically you have one impression. You look at them, you say, this is that type of person. Then it takes like, I think it's 20. I'd have to look it up. 20 other contrary impressions to reverse what you thought about that person. So you see them once, hear them once, whatever, and you go, oh, they're this type of person. To reverse that, you have to see 20 examples contrary to that opinion to reverse it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. It has, it's such a conscious thing. You have to be so intentional. Right. I'm like, I'm politically conservative. I've got friends who are liberal. When I see them, the first thing that comes to mind is not, oh, they're a liberal right. at all. Yeah. I actually have to get into conversation to remember that about them. Mm-hmm. I just don't focus on the disagreement. I just don't go there. I'm not right. immediately labeling someone as this. And then it totally hinders my ability to have relationship with them. It's a waste of time. Like, who has time to only think about the negative thing? Like, if you're one of those people that just walks into the room looking to pick a fight with someone, like, Mm -hmm. please don't ever come talk to me. Like, I don't have time for that. Even though, you know, I am human. So have I based opinions based off just seeing someone? Yeah, of course I have. But Nick said a word that is so... It's misunderstood it's not even used hardly at all in society today but it's intentionality like you have to be so specifically intentional when you meet somebody when you walk into a room at an event that you've never been to before and you have to say you know what I'm throwing out all my pre-prejudice that I've walked in here with and I'm just going to come in with an open mind and that's hard to do But it is so worth it in the long run. Like, I have learned more about not only myself, but about people who I interact with on a daily basis, about having an open mind instead of just assuming things about them. Hmm. Yeah. So I think 
I think there's a real cure for disunity. Um, and I'll, I'll share two quick stories. One is the anecdote we were going to start with. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> we were going to start with an anecdotal story. Sorry. Here we go. It's uh, an artist's picture of what hell's like. Have you seen it or heard of it? No. It's a popular analogy, and this artist portrayed what they thought hell was like. And whether you're a believer in God or the afterlife or not, I think everybody has a picture of what hell would be like. Right. For some people, it's, you know, a Nickelback album on repeat. (laughs) For other people. That's my hell. Right. I mean, we all have different pictures of hell. So um, this picture paints an image of food at the middle of a table. And people are sitting on either side of the table. And everyone has a really long spoon strapped to their hand. And the spoon, if they go in and get the food, is too long for the person to feed themselves. So you can imagine if you have a three-foot spoon in your hand, you can't feed yourself with that spoon. And their hands are, are locked in. They can't do anything about it. So it's too long for them to feed themselves, but they're too selfish to feed the other person. Yep. So they can't reach in, get the food, and go across the table to feed somebody else. Instead, they're suffering from hunger, totally miserable, totally in hell, because they they refuse to be selfless for a second. Yeah. And so they're caught in that in-between place. So I really think the cure for disunity is selflessness, caring about someone else far more than their opinion, what they believe or what they don't believe. Um, Have you ever read the book Stone Fox? Never even heard of it. Okay. So there's this book called Stone Fox. And this writer in the 1960s was sitting at a diner in Idaho next to a guy named Bob. And he starts talking to Bob. And Bob tells him a story called Stone Fox. And it's based on a true story. It was like a hand-me-down legend. Hmm. And... He, uh, Bob tells him the story and the guy writes it in a book called Stone Fox. It's a short novel. It's like 100, 110 pages. It blows up and sells millions of copies. It's a scholastics book directed at kids from like age 14 to 20, somewhere in there. So it sold a ton of copies worldwide. I read this book, Laura and I did. And here's the story. And there are spoilers if you're listening. Sorry, not sorry. You plan on reading Stone Fox and you should. Here's the spoiler. Uh, there's a boy named Will. He's got a grandfather who's a farmer in Idaho. What are they farming? Potatoes, potatoes, naturally. So he's got a potato farm, and Grandpa gets sick. While Grandpa's sick, Will is 12 years old, kind of caring for the place, and he has his pet dog named Searchlight, who helps him care for the place. Searchlight puts on the plow and plows the field. She's just the best dog ever, super friendly, super caring. Her and Will have this great relationship. Well, while Grandpa is sick, IRS people start showing up and saying, you owe us a ton in taxes. So the Grandpa is dying. Uh, Will finds out that they're about to lose the farm, which is frightening. His parents aren't in play at all. Grandpa raised him. And the Grandpa finally tells Will, we need X amount of money in order to save the farm. And so it's a lot of money. And Will doesn't know what to do. He goes into town with Searchlight And he sees an advertisement for a dog sled race that is held locally. And the winner of that race gets the exact amount of money that they owe the IRS. So if he wins the race, he gets the money and he saves the farm, which is like a huge goal for Will. So he starts training with Searchlight, his dog, 
to be the best dog sledder possible. Mm. The problem is people start talking in the town and they say, hey, you know, there's a guy named Stone Fox who you're going to race against on race day. And he has won the past like 30 tournaments. He's unbelievably fast. He has the best breed of dog dogs that pull a sled in the world. They're unbeatable. He's this big old Indian guy. And so (laughs) the day before the race, Will shows up where the racetrack is. He starts researching, laying out the landscape. He knows he's at a disadvantage because he's only got one dog, old searchlight. Right. And Stone Fox is experienced and has like four dogs. And there's a bunch of other racers there as well who have experience. So he starts like charting the course and figuring out all the angles, all the shortcuts, and learns how to, hopefully how to win the race. Well, the night before, he sneaks into this barn and starts scouting out the competition and sees Stone Fox, the old Indian, sees his dogs. Mm -hmm. And Stone Fox walks in, gets mad that he's trespassing, and slaps him, like slaps him upside the head, knocks the kid over. He's got a big swollen black guy, yells at him. Will runs out of there as fast as he can. Discouraged, disheartened, intimidated, freaked out, scared. You, especially at this time because it was like you've got the Indian and you've got the white man, which is what they, the two represented. Right. Totally different culture, different background, different values. So there's this tension that's there already. So the day of the race comes. Will and Searchlight are there. Stone Fox and his dogs are there and a handful of other racers are there. They take off and Stone Fox is really fast because he's got all his dogs. Will is really fast because he is light. He's 12. So he can go across frozen lakes without them falling through. He's got all these shortcuts in mind. And the race is really tense, really close. Stone Fox and Searchlight are neck and neck the entire time. And finally, they get to like the last 200-yard sprint for the finish line. All the other racers are well behind. But Stone Fox and his four dogs and Will and Searchlight are neck and neck. Will and Searchlight start pulling ahead. And Will is shouting, come on, Searchlight, you can do this. You got this, you got it. And she's working so hard. She's breathing heavily. She's panting like crazy. She's an older breed, but she really wants this. She's really obedient. She's going as fast as she possibly can. He's encouraging her and going after it. And they're in the lead. And 20 yards from the finish line, searchlight was overworked oh, and her heart bursts. And so she dies. It's so sad. And the way the book describes this is super sad. The sled tumbles over, Will falls out, searchlight's dead. And we were reading this book thinking this is going to be a really lovely and sweet ending. We were on our way to meet a realtor. Laura's reading it out loud. She starts weeping. She starts crying so hard. And she's like, I've got to meet a realtor in a minute. I didn't know it would be like this. And Will kind of collects himself. At this point, he doesn't care about the race. He cares about his, his girl that just died. So he leans over to Searchlight, and he says, you did so good, girl. You did so good. She's dead. It's like so sad. Yeah. And Stone Fox the ruthless, cold, abusive old Indian stops when he approaches the scene and sees Will ho- hovering over his dog. Mm. And he looks down, pulls out a gun, draws a big line in the snow. All the other racers approach, and Stone Fox phew, fires a shotgun. All the racers stop 
because they're not going to mess with Stone Fox. Right. Stone Fox looks at the racers and he says, if any of you cross this line, I'll shoot. Mm. He looks down at Will. He looks to the finish line and he just gives Will a nod. Will lifts up searchlight and walks across the finish line with her the last 20 yards. Wow. 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 wow, wow. (laughs) Heavy, heavy book. Yeah. But what you see is this beautiful picture of two people from totally different backgrounds, totally opposing cultures where there's a lot of tension. They both have a common goal and that's to win. Yeah. And Stone Fox is willing to say in that moment, hey, you need this more than me. Right. And I think that we as a people, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, whatever you might be, we're all going after the same thing, which is for the most part, which is physical, spiritual, mental prosperity on some level. Yeah. On one level or the other. And to find unity in all this, I think we've got to be willing to look at people sometimes and say, you need this more than me. Yeah. And to lend, to help people when they're down, to prefer somebody else, to reach across the aisle and say, I'm going to give to you because I think you really need this right now, despite disagreement, despite different backgrounds. And I think that's the cure. I think that's how you see beautiful, gorgeous displays of love in the earth, like you see with Old Stone Fox. (laughs) That just got real deep, and I was not expecting it to go there, but it went there. Wow, that's so good. Like, Like you said earlier, selflessness is the key, but I also think respect is the key, because if you can't have respect for another human being. Like Stone Fox respected what Will did. Mm. He didn't have to like him. He didn't have to agree with, you know, what he did, but he respected that he went out there. He gave his all. He did everything that he could to stay in the race, to succeed. And that was finding common ground. The respect was the common ground. Like you said, they both wanted to win. That was the common ground. And when you can respect somebody else, I mean, we just started going into our local jail And I remember the first day I walked in there, I was mortified because I've seen people in jail. I've been in jail before, but to sit in a room with 12 convicted felons, females, but still, like that was a little bit scary for me. Not that they themselves scared me, but I just had no clue what I was getting myself into. But once I sat down in that room and I talked to those girls, I left and I weeped because... I had respect for them. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't matter to me what they had done to get in there, but for them to open their heart to, I mean, these girls are hard. They look hard, like, they look like they beat you up, but they are the sweetest people that you will ever meet. But there's no way that I would have ever built a connection with them if I didn't have respect for them. And that's something that we lack. We just go around disrespecting anybody and everybody. We think, oh, well, you posted something on social media that I didn't agree with. So let me come on here and make you feel stupid for your beliefs just because I don't agree with you. That's disrespect. Mm -hmm. Respect would be keeping your mouth shut or asking permission. Hey, do you mind if I share my opinion with you? Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to force it down people's throat. That, and you know what? This might sound a little harsh, but Christians are the worst at that. I mean, I see people all the time 
who are blasting their political beliefs, their um, religious beliefs, just anything and everything on social media. And I'm like, if I was not saved and I was looking on social media at the church, I would be just repulsed. I would just turn around and not even give it another thought because it's just disrespectful. Yeah. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. It is funny, but it's so true. I mean, Aretha had it going on. She knew what she's talking about. Yeah. Because you have to, you can't find out what someone else thinks or feels and respect them if you can't hear them. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to hear them out. Yeah. Jordan Peterson says you should always assume that the other person knows something that you don't. Right. That's heavy. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. I don't ever want to walk into a room and think I know more than somebody else. Yeah. Like that just gets you stuck and in trouble. You end up putting your foot in your mouth. And yikes, I just would rather not do that. So. Yeah. Don't stifle your growth. Always be a learner. Right. Learners are listeners. Do you remember that game Red Rover? Oh, yeah. As a kid? I don't know why I just thought of it, but it was just a perfect picture of unity to me in my mind. I remember specifically one year I was in sixth grade and we were playing in the gym upstairs at church. And again, I shared in the first episode, like I just wanted to be one of the guys like I wanted to hang. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be tough. I didn't want them to be like, oh, you're a sissy. You can't hang out with us. So I was going to do whatever it took to be one of the guys. So we were playing Red Rover. Well, I'm linked hands with three of the biggest guys that are there. (laughs) And then there's like two other of the biggest guys on the opposing side. Mm -hmm. Well, because I'm the girl and I'm the weakest link, who are they going to come charging at? Of course, me. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I remember this kid, I won't, I won't name him, but he just came flying at me. I remember. And all I could think of is, I don't want to let the other people around me down. Mm-hmm. And this is going to hurt so bad. And I'm a pansy. I don't like pain. But I knew that if I let go, like, that was the end. I wouldn't. I was going to hear about it for all eternity. They would never let me live it down. So I just took my stand, everything in me, and I told the guys next to me, I said, just hold on to my arms as, as strong as you can, just tight grip. So they did, and I was holding on for dear life. Long story short, the dude ran, gave me a bloody nose, but I did not break the line. Praise the Lord. I know. (laughs) I was so ticked at him because he targeted me. Like, I knew he was doing it on purpose. And I was like, you're such a jerk. And I wasn't going to let him win, though. Yeah. So I took a bloody nose for the team. But I just, like, that game was so fun as a kid, and I remember. But it took you finding common ground, standing together hand in hand Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm not going to let what's coming at me, no matter what it is, no matter how big the problem looks, I'm not going to let go. And and it's looking to your right, looking to your left, saying, I don't necessarily know everything about you. I don't necessarily agree with you, but together we can withstand the problems that are coming at us. Yeah. And there's like, Like, well, one thing, nothing feels better than destroying someone's midsection (laughs) in a game of Red Rover. True that. But then they sometimes, you know, you you send over the big kid. Yeah. And that's scary. That is absolutely frightening. So you know what you do? 
there's this thing we started doing when you knew roughly where he was going to target, where mm-hmm. he was going to try to infiltrate. You put your right hand over your left forearm. Ah. Take your left hand and grab somebody else's forearm, and they do the same posture, and you create this net with your arms. Have you ever done that? No, but it yeah. sounds amazing. So it's like left arm is out, right arm is crossed over on top of your left forearm. Then you grab that person's right forearm. They grab your right forearm or left forearm. And what you do is you create this square net thing that's indestructible. Your arms will fall off of your shoulders before this thing breaks. Oh, yeah. And uh, so there's strategy. You increase. Exactly. You say, okay, here we're going to fortify this area. We're going to strengthen this area. And to pull together an analogy, right. um, you do that within organizations, within families, within marriages, within cultures. You strengthen your bond. You strengthen your unity. And it's often done through diversity. Through, right. or sorry, not diversity, adversity. Yeah. Through you know, someone, yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. So someone tries to break into your red Rover thingy, that's going to strengthen the bond of the people who are on the line. Likewise, I heard someone say recently, if you're at a wedding out of town, you're bunking in a room with your cousin who you don't know at all. Mm -hmm. And the plumbing breaks and water's everywhere. And you two have to fix it together. You're going to know each other way better and joke around and laugh and have memories and stories to tell. And you're going to know them more than or better than you know a whole lot of your other family members because there was adversity because right, something right. went wrong and you tackled it together. So you can find, I think, a greater measure of unity through adversity as well. So before we end, one more question. Why is unity not boring? Why is unity not boring? Probably because of the last 30 minutes of this podcast and everything we've covered, (laughs) (laughs) it produces everything that we know that exists. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, talking about how things take time. Mm -hmm. I would say Rome wasn't built by one person. Right. There's a whole lot of unity that it takes to build anything of value. So if you want to be productive and receive things that are productive, learn, learn to find common ground and unity with people. That's not boring. That's as fun as it gets. Right. Because yeah. if, if you don't, if you're only meeting with the same people who you think like and believe like, you're going to have the same conversation over and over and over again. And then it's going to get mundane and boring. And then you're just going to give up and you're not going to be a part of the fight or a part of the solution because you're like, well, been there, done that. You know, but if you're willing to get outside of your comfort zone, and that's my challenge to you this week is Get outside your comfort zone. Find someone that you maybe disagree with and just see why they believe what they believe. Hmm. But do it from a place of respect, Mm -hmm. not with a place of defensiveness. Because I think that's one of the things that we do um, so frequently is we just get super defensive. Mm -hmm. When it goes against what we believe, we try to defend it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have to defend what I believe because I live it out. You're Mm -hmm. You're not, that doesn't affect me. Yeah. So I think that helps to have an open mind. It's good stuff. Agreed. Good Good stuff. stuff. Thanks for being on here. Of course. Thanks for talking with us. I'm sure you'll hear from Nick again because he's one of my favorite people to talk with about things like this because even though we always don't agree on everything, we do have a lot of common ground at the same time. Yeah. Um, And I learned a lot from him and I hope you guys did as well. Again, this is just a foundation. This is just setting up for where we're going next because you have to learn to be authentic 
and you have to learn how to have unity with the people around you in your life, outside of your life, um, just in general. Otherwise, we are going to be a part of the problem and not the solution. So I will catch you guys on the next episode.